0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hello, I'm Matt Dickinson, and for this edition of Lifetimes, I sat down with Fran Kirby, The Chelsea and England forward, once described as a mini Messi, will carry many of England's hopes at the World Cup this summer, but she reveals just how tough it has been to make it to the top. The journey from 1991's 80-minute matches to a 2019 sell-out opener at the Parc de France should not be underestimated or forgotten. The time is now. England feel like that, they have been on some trek. Slow burners throughout the 2000s, led by Kelly Smith. They hit their high point four years ago, a bronze medal which is cherished in the women's game. Now they are going for gold. Navigated by Neville, powered by Paris, picked on by Kirby. So welcome. I mean, I'm sure we'll we'll get into a lot more detail about gender equality and where the women's game is going. But you know, first wanted to talk about your game itself. I mean, you're 25 now. I mean, does that feel like coming into prime years? How does it feel to you?
2: Um, Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've been around for a long time now. You know, obviously when I first came into the scene uh, with England, you know, people were a bit surprised of you know who I was as a player and you know coming from the only WSL two team. You know, I did feel very inexperienced. Um, compared to a lot of the other girls. I didn't really play much at youth age groups, whereas a lot of the girls had come through at England, you know, 15s, 17s, 90s. I, I didn't do any of that really. A bit inexperienced at the time, but now, you know, obviously I'm a bit more established, you know, in the team. Um, and, you know, I'm paying a lot in front of a lot of big crowds. So, you know, I am experienced in that sense.
1: And, I mean, I'd say, don't want to load you up with too many expectations, but, you know, a lot of people saying very positive things about you I mean Phil, Phil Neville obviously the England manager said I think you know I'll take our number tens over Brazil's which um, again I'm obviously reference to Marta who is a sort of icon in the game I mean when you hear stuff like that how does do you think great or do you think <laughs> oh I could do without it
2: um, I think it's a mixture of both uh, I think you know obviously I've had a lot of uh, names tagged along me uh, along the way. Um, you know, I've just had to kind of take them on the chin and, you know, try and focus on myself. and you know it does come with added pressure when someone says something like that to you you know obviously because you know Marta is a legend in the women's game there's no denying that and she still is to this day one of the best players um, in the women's game so it's a massive compliment for your manager to say that about you and obviously it shows the belief that he has in me as a player and you know it, it makes you you know drive a bit more and you know it makes you feel confident going into the next game so it's a bit backwards and forwards um, yeah. but yeah obviously you, you want your manager to compliment you because then you feel like you're doing something right.
1: When we're making those comparisons, I have to throw it in. But how did your teammates <laughs> respond when when Mini Messi came up? Mark, was... Mark that was from Mark Sampson, wasn't it? The, the the previous England women's coach.
2: That was a bit obviously. I was I was still quite inexperienced then. It was my first World Cup, and obviously that kind of tag stuck. And it was quite funny because I remember the girls. You know, they would kind of joke about it in training or you know they'd be like oh we've got mini Messi on our team and stuff you know it's just normal banter you know and you know to be fair a lot of the girls still now to this day would be like oh we've got our mini Messi and stuff like that so yeah it's, it's all good fun and it's you know it's it's a nickname that has stuck with me and you know I'm trying to emulate as much as I can obviously you don't think that I'm there um, but you know it's, it's a great nickname to have and you know it does come with the added pressure but it's going to be pressure no matter what whether you're playing for Chelsea or England the two top top teams in football
1: so I mean for the record you're five foot two is at a push <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> that's always with, my with the heels on yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I
2: always have to wear the bigger heels because I'm so small but that's, <laughs>
1: but that's interesting but you say you think it might have made you a more shall we inventive sort of resourceful player because of that
2: yeah definitely I had to adapt my game um you know because a lot of the time when I was growing up I played in leagues where you know it wasn't fancy football it was very physical it was very you know that wasn't my game you know I was so small I wasn't strong I had no muscles you know I went to a world cup not even knowing what a gym session was really you know I hadn't done it you know because I wasn't in the in the professional environment as everyone else was so you know I learned very quickly you know I had to put some muscle on otherwise I was just going to get pushed off the ball all the time so you know it's it was a big big mind change for me and definitely one thing that I've grown up learning a lot about is how to look after your body and make sure that you know you're not too weak that people are able to push you off the ball.
1: But you feel you feel a lot more robust generally playing the, playing the game?
2: Yeah, yeah definitely you know honestly when I used to play I was like a twig you know when I first came in you know I had no muscles about me you know I got injured, started working in the gym you know obviously I was out for a good year and a bit so you know I put a bit of meat on a bit of beef uh, which I needed to do um, and then you know try to use that into a different strength and try and build it up into muscle, which I managed to do. And, you know, I definitely needed that because I don't think I would have been able to compete at international level at all, you know, if I was still the same way that I was before, you know, coming into Chelsea and stuff.
1: I mean, on that, how far do you think the England... Team. I mean, I think the, the Americans generally have a reputation for being the, the athletes. Is that right? Yeah. Maybe the Germans too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, is that something that's just a, simply a question of the game getting more and more professional, catching up?
2: I think so. I think you've definitely seen a difference uh, since you know our league has gone professional. More of the girls becoming professional in our league, and you know, in within the England team as well. You know, even still, some of the girls weren't professional a few years ago in the England team. So I think it's definitely improving in that sense and I still think that there's still a way to go but you know we are getting to the same level now as these teams who have been able to be professional for so long and you know be able to push ourselves like you saw when we won the She Believes you know it was a massive turning point I think for this England team and how we can build our confidence and show that we can compete against the best
1: and that sort of dead-eye finishing that you well you've certainly certainly been one of your strengths is that, I mean, obviously all, all these skills take work, but was that something you found did come quite naturally to you as when you, when you were learning the game?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, last year was probably the year where I actually really worked on it. Um, you know, after training, I would stay and do my own shooting, even into an empty net, you know, taking a touch inside and finishing. Um, but I've always been quite confident in front of goal. You know, obviously, you know, there's games where I don't score and I miss three chances and I'm disappointed about it. But, you know, I'm never going to not try again. And I think that's one thing that I've learned can miss free chances but you need to keep taking them chances whether you're missing whether people are getting annoyed that you're missing people are disappointed because you're missing but you know you're never going to overcome something like that unless you keep going and keep trying. It was when I you know first started taking penalties for England. I missed my first two penalties that I took for England but you know I had to stick at it I had to keep going you know now I've scored the rest of my penalties that I've had.
1: And without uh, giving any trade secrets away but what's what's your when you're doing the the long walk of, of <laughs> what what would be hell to most of us. What what do you try and think of a particular thing? Do you you know what what's your thought process?
2: I think I just try and think about when I was a kid, um, and you know I'd play football in the park or I'd play football with my brother on the street, and just try and turn into that kid again, where you just loved football and it was just so exciting and everything was great and. I play my best football when I'm smiling, when I'm looking like I'm just in the park playing football with my friends. So I try and take myself to that kind of area, trying to keep myself calm. Yeah, i probably say that would be my biggest thing when I'm trying to take a penalty, trying to keep myself calm and try and think about enjoying it rather than being scared of it.
1: Okay. And is, is that an approach you use generally? Not, I mean, not just for penalties, trying to get yourself into that sort of mindset?
2: Yeah, I try not to take things too seriously, especially with football, because like I said, I... I I'm better when I have fun, you know. When I'm, when I'm not in a good way, or you know, I'm not very strong mentally, or I'm very low on confidence. That's when I'm a bit more serious, and that's when I can't enjoy it, and that's probably when I perform at my worst. Right. So yeah, I just try and have fun, you know, because I play football because I love it. Um, I don't play football for any other reason so why should I not act like I love it when I play you know if someone does a trick against me and it works you know I have a laugh about it or you know and that's just the way that I am or in the change room I try and do something silly and make people think that I'm weird because you know I just want to have fun Um, you get some people obviously who are zoned in headphones on everything's like ready to go and then you know I'm trying to throw water on people and stuff like that so yeah that's just the way that I try and handle it.
1: And that's that, that, that works best for you I mean it's it's I know you, I saw you recently have contributed to, I think it was a UEFA campaign, was it a mental health campaign? Mm-hmm. Uh, something yeah. I wanted to touch on, but I, 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 I know it's it sort of matters to you. But is that, what, why did you feel like you should contribute to that? And, and what do you hope people gain from it?
2: A lot of the experiences that I've had is what a lot of people go through every day. You know, I just wanted to get my story out there. You know, a lot of the time people see you as a footballer. You know, they think that nothing is going to affect you. You know, your life is great. You do what you love every day. And, you know, you go to work, you have no problems. Um, But I think one thing that I've really tried to push, especially with the women's game, because, you know, we are a lot more accessible than the men's are. That's just the way it is. Um, We are more probably a bit more out there with the fans. You know, we communicate more with the fans. And I think, you know, for me, I wanted people to make you make them aware that we're not robots. You know, we go through traumas. Some of my teammates go through, you know, difficult times in their lives and everyone has that in their life. And I don't think people should think that athletes don't struggle with daily struggles that, you know, a normal nine to five working job people have. And I think that was one thing that I really wanted to get across, as well as the fact, you know, that sometimes situations are hard for you, but I want people to show that you can come out of the other end as long as you get the help that you need and you understand you know they like like I said in the thing that it's okay to not be okay yeah you know and that was that was the biggest thing that I wanted to to get out of it
1: and, and you mentioned traumas and I know I'm sure it's a very sort of difficult subject to talk about but just so people understand you you lost your mum very suddenly age age 14 mm-hmm. and and I think you've been very open about just how that that threw you in a in a very big way for a for a number of years
2: yeah absolutely and you know it was it was a very difficult period for myself and for my family and you know, like you say, it was so, it was so sudden. You know, she had a brain hemorrhage, um, which was no signs coming or anything like that. You know, it was literally just one minute she was there smiling, and the next minute, you know, she had passed out. And it was it was very traumatic for myself and for obviously everyone else who was in the room. Um, you, were, you
1: were at home with her at the time.
2: No, so we were actually um, so at the end of our academy year, we have a. A meeting, kind of the coaches sit across from the room like like we are now and they go through a list of what you've done well, what you haven't done well and everything like that. So we we're just having a normal conversation. So she was probably, she was sat to the left of me. So she probably been about there. And then, you know, she was laughing at something that the coach, the other side said, and then she said, oh, I don't feel very well, um, put her head on the table. And then, you know, that was, that was kind of it. Um, that was probably the, the last moment you know that she was conscious um so yeah it was it was very traumatic for everyone who was around and you know it was it was a very difficult period for my family and, and for myself
1: as a teenager it's I mean you yeah, know extremely difficult to know where to turn to I guess and I, I think I'm right in saying you well that was part of the trouble you didn't know who <laughs> to speak to or what to say to anyone
2: yeah it was you know I live You know, obviously it was my dad and my brother, so I lived with two males who don't know how to express their emotions anyway. Um, So I think I was probably the more openly emotional about it. You know, I didn't really know what was going on behind closed doors with my dad and my brother. Obviously I'm very aware they were probably very emotional also, but you know, they're male. They don't want to be seen to have these emotions. And I kind of shut myself away because I didn't know how to deal with it. You know, I'd come from being this young girl who was so happy, confident, smiley, would get on with anyone, to someone who didn't want to leave their bedroom. And I didn't know how to go through that transition. I didn't know how to get myself out there again and be a normal person again. You know, I I struggled for many years with just getting out of bed. You know, that was the biggest struggle for me was just getting out of bed. And, you know, that was, I think it got to a stage where I, I went to sixth form and I walked to the bus stop to go to sixth form, got on the bus, went into town. I had to get another bus from town. I remember just sitting at the bus stop and I just started to cry. And I remember I called uh, the Red Inn woman physio. Her name was Julie Tamra at the time. She was amazing, helping me for everything. I just said, I need you to come and pick me up. I can't I can't do this anymore. And then that day, she drove me home to her house. I just lay on a sofa for the whole day. I think I didn't move from nine o'clock in the morning to about nine o'clock at night. Just stayed there all day and just had a really honest conversation about like what was going on and what I needed to do to get help. And she was amazing. She was one of the driving forces who told me to open up to my dad to speak to my dad about it and you know to try and get myself right so yeah it was it was very hard to like i say go from someone who was so open and so happy to you know someone who couldn't even walk 100 yards without breaking down so it was quite tough
1: and did you, you, you had any grief counseling at all at this stage or
2: not at the time no because i i hadn't i hadn't let it kind of grow you know the next day after you know my mum passed away i went to school you know I just pretended that nothing had happened I went to a trip to watch the rugby um with the school I was you know my brother was going through his GCSEs I was just starting my GCSEs you know we just kind of got on with life like nothing had happened you know we didn't speak about my mum in the house we didn't you know it was just it was always just passing comments you know like oh your mum would kill you if your room looked like that and she was here. you know that was as much Mm. as it kind of got to to do with my mum it was a complete blur really. And
1: it was almost waiting. Something was waiting to come out. It was
2: always it. brewing. I think yeah. it was always going to hit me eventually. And, you know, I think I was very, actually quite lucky that it hit me when it did. Cause obviously if it hits you at, at the age I'm at now, you know, it's very difficult to play in a career or, to, you know, enjoy a career that you have. Um, so I was, I was quite lucky in a sense, you know, if you can be lucky in a situation like that. But yeah, no, I didn't have any kind of counseling about it until I opened up to my dad and said, look, dad, like, well, it was actually julie Tamro who just said there, sat there and just look she's depressed she mm. needs to see someone she needs to speak to someone um so yeah then i started to kind of go into someone speak to someone but then i kind of transitioned into kind of being with my friends again so then that kind of helped a lot you know i shut my friends out for a long time um so then when i was kind of around my friends we would be speak more openly about it so then i kind of helped i healed that way as well so yeah
1: uh, in in this time, did you say, you, you shut yourself away. And you you shut yourself away from football as well, which had been such a big part of your be your life.
2: Yeah, I I remember I just I went up north to visit my family because all my family are from the north, and it was the first time I'd visit them since everything had happened. It was my mum's sisters, and I remember just sat. I was just sat there with them, and I was like, I just don't want to do it anymore. I just don't want to play. I just I just don't enjoy it. I don't like going out in the evenings when it's freezing cold. Getting up in the morning to go to training I just don't want to do it anymore I just don't love it I just and it was the first time because my family have always been so driven with football and everything was football you know oh my god she's so good at football like she's gonna be the best da, 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 da. and it was the first time in my life that I spoke to someone who didn't who didn't care about football and they just said well quit you don't need to do it if you don't love it anymore then do something else and that was the first time that someone had even mentioned anything like like that to me I remember just sitting there thinking, "Do you know what? You're right. Like, I can, I can grow this love back. I can go, and maybe I want to do something else." Um, so I was on the train on the way home. I messaged Julie. I said, "I need you to help me to tell Reddin that I don't want to play." Um, and Reddin were amazing. They were so good um, dealing with it. They just said, "Look, we'll give you all the help you need. We won't force you to come back. We won't push you to come back. You need to get yourself right." And it was the best decision that I've ever made. I think um, yeah. doing that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I guess it's understandable that. Given what you've been through, nothing would matter in your life at that at that point, really.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I still trained. I still went to the gym. I still, you know, got involved with sessions if I felt like it. But there was no pressure. All my life, I'd been driven with she's going to play for England. Even what, even
1: at 13?
2: Yeah, no. you know, all my life, you know, all the coaches had been saying it. Oh, she's going to play for England. Her, huh? like, she's the best. You know, I was winning a lot of individual awards growing up. You know, best player of the tournament, best player of the year, and everything like that. You know, at youth age group. So. You know, I probably struggled a lot with the pressure when I was younger, but when I was younger, I just loved it so much that I didn't really think anything of it. It was when I started to, you know, deal with all these different emotions where I kind of just thought, I've had enough. I've had enough. And then, you know, I joined a Sunday league team a few years later, turned up on the day, didn't train during the week, didn't have to warm up, just went and played. And it was great, you know, and I think that's why it's so important that when you do play, it's just for enjoyment. You know, you can't play something that you don't love.
1: So that's that's how you got back into the game. Was it just doing it for doing it for fun?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It didn't matter whether we lost, whether we won, whether I scored, whether I didn't, whether I gave the ball away. Everyone would laugh if you made a mistake. You know, it was it wasn't serious at all. And you know, I was playing with my best friend. You know, had a great time, had a great laugh, played some games, and then I was like, do you know what, I'm ready now. I can do this again now. I love I love this again now. Um, so yeah, that was that was really important for me.
1: And and how much just on, on your mum? I mean, I, I imagine like all parents of 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 keen kids <laughs> lots of taxi driving around the place and, and so on she 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 played a big part in, in in getting you to into football as well
2: yeah she was like my coach but not coach you know she was the one who would getting me up in the morning, make me breakfast. And she would be in the bathtub with the toothbrush brush in the boots <laughs> after the game, um, making sure that I've got enough food to go to the football and driving me around everywhere up at five o'clock in the morning, drive me to London to play against Charlton or someone, you know, like far, far away from Reading. Um, yeah, she was the, the real driving force of everything to do with my football. And, you know, she would make sure that I was always ready to go and, you know, never once complained never once complained about having to drive me anywhere having to wash my boots having to the only time she complained is when i said i didn't want to go because it was raining that was the only time that she complained she was pulling me out of the bed dragging me in the car um telling me to you know get over it come on you need to play um yeah never once complained and she just loved it she loved football more than i do i think
1: but you got you got your love back for it which is which is why you're here
2: absolutely <laughs> yeah
1: and so what happened so you you start playing again with a friend and then did you make contact with Reading or did, did they get, make contact with you? Or?
2: So I, I was in a, a sixth form uh, John Maleski Academy uh, where we were playing football alongside studying uh, BTEC and A-levels. Um, so I kind of joined in with them again, started training with them again and then they kind of came to me in the car park and they were like, look, we're struggling for players this weekend. Um, it was Sunderland away, so I think a lot of the girls were like, nah, I'm not going up there so far. So yeah, I just I just said, look, okay, I'm, I'm happy to do this, but I don't want any pressure to come with it. Like, I'm going to sign for you, but I might want to train sometimes. I might not want to train sometimes. You know, this, this isn't me trying to be like, I don't want to do this, but I need to make sure that I'm, re- I'm 100% ready. Went up, the, up there, absolutely loved it, and then started training again ever since. So yeah, it was a bit of a quick transition
1: and how easy do you find you know this you talk about this sort of needing to play it for, for fun and for love I mean as the game gets more professional as you know as we talked before about expectations and so on do you, do you find that an easy place to stay in or is that does that get harder and harder does that become a bit of a battle just to keep it fun
2: yeah it definitely does become a battle when things you know it, women's game now is getting to a stage where you know Before, it wasn't always about winning because, you know, people were pumping so much money into the women's game. You know, now the clubs are getting on board, you know, they're really backing teams. It does become that added pressure, but that's what we've wanted all along. You know, we've wanted to get to a stage now where people take us seriously. They fund us in the right way. We get the best treatment that we can. We get the best facilities we get. So we have to perform now. You know, so here you go. Here's what you want. We want a trophy you know so it, it does become that but I think for me I just try and stay like I said earlier as that little girl uh, in the street when I go to training if I score a goal in an empty net I want to celebrate you know because I've scored a goal I get frustrated of course I'm not happy 100% of the time I get frustrated with my own performance I get frustrated but I need to try I always try and get myself back into that area where I'm happy I'm having fun you know like I said that's when I play my best football and that's probably when you know, the girls want to be around me. They probably don't want to be around me when I'm moody and, you know, not happy. Um, but yeah, I just try and always resort myself back to that young girl who's down the park playing with two jumpers as a goalpost. Um, and that's how I try and do it.
1: Trying, trying to be Thierry Henry.
2: Yeah, exactly. The well, goal he scored against Man United. I've been trying that one for since I was a baby. That, so. Would
1: that be the dream? Would it?
2: It would be. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I mean, I can try. <laughs> that, that was
1: the sort of hook, swivelling around. Golly, yeah, yeah. Bartos, it was Bartos, was yeah. It? yeah. I mean, well, you talk about sort of. Developing finishing skills, but when Henri first moved to Arsenal, I mean, Struggled, he, didn't yeah, he? he he wasn't a finisher. I mean, it's amazing yeah. to look back and just think that he he needed to work on on his finishing as well.
2: Yeah, well, if the best in the world has to do it, then then you have to do it as well. Is
1: he <laughs> is he still the best do that? I mean, what would if you think back to World Cups? What what when was the first World Cup you remember watching? Whether it was men or women.
2: Uh, the first World Cup I remember watching at school oh. when Ronaldinho scored against David Seaman. Okay, <laughs> I remember the whole school was watching it and we all just. Yeah, we didn't know what to do. That's that's my only kind of thing that I remember um, from the World Cup. And then obviously the Lampard situation. Against Germany, that would yes. be my next one, probably. Okay. Yeah. In <laughs> so
1: 2002, I mean, Michael yeah. Owen was, was going strong then. You, yeah, he was yeah, amazing did you, Yeah. Do you see any, yeah. if, if you've watched much Michael Owen as well? I mean.
2: Yeah. I When I was growing up, you know, I was always, you know, watching these players. And one thing, you know, that I learned a lot, a lot of the coaches would say to me about Michael Owen, you know, I, used, I got to a stage at football where I was getting really annoyed when I didn't get the ball when I wanted it. And the coaches made me watch Michael Owen and said, look how many runs he makes until he gets the ball. And then he actually <sighs> scores when he gets the ball. And he makes so many runs that, you know, people don't look, don't watch. You know, he'll dart here, he'll dart there. And then the one time the ball gets played through, he scores. You know, so I had to watch a lot of that because obviously I was just getting frustrated because I'm making the run. Why aren't you passing me the ball? Like, I'm there, pass me the ball. But then obviously there's other situations in football. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'd, I had to watch Michael Owen to see how many times he would run um, until he got the ball.
1: Yeah, so, and then w- would you be watching spending a lot of time w- watching the game I mean club game international game we, every we could...
2: football game was on in my house every football game even it was Premier League it was international every football game you could think of was in my house my family were absolutely football crazy football still still I know my dad is still football crazy but back when I was younger I would sit right in front of the TV and I would just watch every single game
1: but like you said I mean it's I guess another sign of how, how I mean that, was there any women's football on then I mean how, it was how only would...
2: really the FA Cup final Right. That would be on TV at the time. Um, not much really else, but like I said, I would go down and watch. You know, the local team. My mum would take me there every Sunday to go and watch them play. Um, yeah, so I everything was just about football. As long as I could watch a game of football, I was happy.
1: And let's let me talk about the development of of the women's game. I mean, what have been the key sort of stages of development? How far has it come? How far has it still got to go?
2: I think you know the first thing would be you know some of the girls turning professional um in the league you know there was a time period where you had some teams who were kind of becoming professional and some who weren't anywhere near it you had some teams where you had half the team was professional half the team wasn't so some people would be waiting around all day to do training in the evenings where some people were coming from work in the evening so you know it went through a real transition period and i think that went all the way up probably until the world cup Um, You know some of the England girls were on central contracts so they could be full-time but obviously not everyone had that luxury you know a lot of people had to work full-time alongside it. It was probably the World Cup when it really kind of took off with people taking it a bit more seriously. Obviously we won a bronze medal that definitely helped of course and then I think that's when the clubs really started to see the growth of women's football in this in this country and I think people started to realize it's going to get to a stage now where it's going to keep growing and keep progressing. Um so yeah, I think definitely the world cup and then probably just after the maybe just before the Euros I think people started to really push into it as well. And I think this year has probably been the best that it's been. Uh the last two years have been the best that it's been for women's football I think in the growth and you know how much the clubs now are pushing into the women's game and taking it more seriously.
1: I guess the yeah. fact—I mean, the fact that Manu didn't even have a team up till a couple of years ago. I mean, that's—I I, I think a lot. of... Well, I was certainly quite shocked that it has taken so long. But again, progress at last.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's nice to see also that they haven't just done it like as a token gesture. They're taking it seriously. You know, their players are professional. Uh, they get treated like professionals. They get the best hotels to stay in. They travel, you know, the day before a game. None of them have to work alongside, you know, and it's it's nice to see that they're really taking it seriously. And you know, they're trying to become the next powerhouse in women's football. And you know, it's it takes teams like Man United, like Chelsea, like Man City to go okay. We need to do this seriously now for other teams to start taking it's Obviously, you know, Southampton are up and coming. You know, they've put a lot of money into it. Brighton have put a lot of money into it. You know, it, it is growing slowly and slowly, but it takes not so much the big clubs because like, obviously we don't want to label it like that, but it takes them teams to go, right, okay, we're going to do this seriously now. If you want to keep up with us, then you have to start doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, which is obviously happening in the men's game also.
1: So, so, how would you, I mean, if you're talking about Chelsea sadly you're not paid the same as uh, <laughs> Ian hazard but um you know how how is the treatment that you would get from the club different to to how hazard have it how how's the day-to-day operation you know if you go into the training ground are you, are you afforded the same respect and treatment there as as he is
2: over the last few years it's definitely got better um i think now we're treated pretty much the same uh yeah, we train at the Cobham training ground. We have our own building there. We have our own pitch there. We have our own gym, you know. And when I first came to Chelsea, you know, it was a bit kind of the women's and the men, you know, we were separated, you know. The women's had their own medical department who had to deal with the injuries. The men had theirs and everything like that. And, you know, and now, you know, if there's an injury, the men's doctor will get involved with it and look at the scans and do everything that they need to do to make sure that you're ready, you know, and that that's a massive thing, you know, to be involved in something like that. And for me, when I had my injury, you know, I was able to go into the men's building, use the pool, use the hydro works, you know, and that would never have happened a few years ago, you know, it was very secluded. So it, it's, it's getting much, much better. I think, you know, obviously in some clubs, you know, there still is that divide. Um, but I think, you know, it just shows that the influence influence that it has on the team when you are able to use these world class facilities you know that it's no it's no wonder the likes of arsenal man city chelsea leon barcelona you know are the top teams in in europe at the moment because you know they have access to these amazing facilities and you know and and that's the way that it should be
1: How much do you read and how much do you try and follow? I mean, there are still debates out there. I mean, I, you know, we all have to be wary of what's on social media. But, you know, still, if, if if we put up articles about women's football, there is still an extraordinary amount of responses, which are, it's get I've seen it, it, it's rubbish, you know. <laughs> and, and that's Yeah, and that's yeah. one of the politer ones. Yeah. I mean, you must see it. Do you still get shocked by it?
2: I wouldn't say shocked by it. I think it's something I think that is going to be around for a long time. I think because obviously a lot of people, you know, have grown up being told that girls aren't allowed to play football or girls are rubbish at football or whatever they've been told when they're growing up, you know. And it's our job to try and change as many stereotypes as we possibly can and, you know, encourage young girls to play football at school. So then when the boys are playing football, they look at the girl and don't see them as any other different than a footballer. You know, when I was growing up, I played football with the boys and I would like to think that them boys who I played with, if they ever hear someone say a comment about a female footballer, they say, hold on, there was a girl at school and she was pretty good. Mm. We're constantly trying to change stereotypes. but We can't change people who are stuck in that way. It's impossible. Yeah. You know, when you've got something in your head and you're you you you're stubborn enough to keep it there, we can't change that, you know. But I, there's been so many times when people have come down, you know, older men or, you know, dads or even just, you know, women, you know, parents who are bringing their kids along, when they watch, they go, like, do you know what? I was really sceptical about coming to watch this. I've watched it on TV and haven't been too fussed, but coming down here, it was amazing. And they're like, and we'll be back next week, you know. So I think it takes someone to actually be willing to open up to experience it to want to change their mind but you can't you can't expect everyone's going to want to change their mind because they've been grown up that way but we're trying everything we can to try and change those stereotypes and the more we become more professional the better the game is getting and the faster the game is getting so hopefully we can continue to grow and develop as footballers and you know change a few more stereotypes
1: i mean it's amazing when you look back and think that the the women's football was actually banned for most of the 20th century by the the Football Association, you know, the the one body that's when they had amazing
2: fans there as well watching yeah. the women's, yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, the, the, yeah. Any time I sort of point that out to people and say, well, this is a reason perhaps why the women's game still needs a lot of development.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's an amazing, it's an amazing fact to look back on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you know, it's taken a long time for people to be even become professional footballers. You know, you still have, you know, you look at the Premier League and then you look at, you know, the leagues below. It's probably until you get maybe near out of you know league football where people aren't professional you know in our league you have wsl1 that's professional that's it yeah you know apart from obviously you've got man united who are professional in wsl2 but after that everyone is pretty much full-time uh, uh part-time sorry and you know have to work all day then go and train you know how do you expect people to play at the same level as intensity or whatever When someone's sitting, you sit at a desk nine to five all day, you go home, you're knackered. Mm. So, you know, it's difficult. And, you know, for us, we we are fully aware that we are never going to achieve the same uh, physical attributes as a male. You know, I am never going to be able to achieve the same speed of running as Eden Hazard. The power he has when he runs, I'm never going to be able to beat gary cahill to a header like i'm not i'm not stupid like i understand that that, you know we are different you know but what we want to achieve is that you know we are at the top level for women's football you know it's it's completely different because of the physical attributes and everything like that you know women's football we're at the top level and that's how we want people to see us
1: and you just have to keep sort of overcoming the hurdles i mean the 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 ballon d'or ceremony with the (laughs) the twerking incident (laughs)
2: well it was in French and I obviously can't speak French so I had no idea what was going on until I looked at my phone and everyone was like did you see what he said I was like no they were just laughing like I don't know what they said but yeah obviously you know I don't think it was meant in any kind of you know sexist way or anything like that I think it was just trying to be a joke but it just highlights now still you know how far we need to still come with, with with things like that and you know it is getting better and like i said it's it's now changing where people think you know that's a funny joke to actually know it's a bit inappropriate
1: do you, you ever respond to the the social media the, the keyboard warriors do you, have you ever bite on that when you when you do get st- um,
2: sometimes sometimes not in like a malicious way i try and make it into something like funny or like you know like if someone says that i'm rubbish or you know i I, I remember one time, it was my first season at Chelsea, I think and we were playing that evening against Sunderland for the title and someone had tweeted me something like, oh, I think Fran Kirby is rubbish. Uh, I really hope she doesn't score tonight so people start going on about her or something. And I actually favoured the tweet, went out and scored two goals. And then she tweeted me again later saying, okay, I'm sorry, like, well done. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? So I try not to react in like a, shut up kind of thing um but some things do make your blood boil a little bit when you've got people writing things on comments that shouldn't be written you know there's one where someone had been taken ill in a game and most of the comments were like well she should have been in the kitchen then and it's like that's not about football anymore that's about someone's well-being yeah you know you wouldn't say that about your daughter if she went and played football or went and played sport and she collapsed you wouldn't say well she should be in the kitchen mm. so you know it's, it's there are some things but you know you just kind of sometimes have to just rise above it and just you know focus on yourself and focus on how you can prove them wrong in a way
1: but the weird thing about always oh, strikes me is, we'll say when we put up articles and and sadly they do get sometimes get a um angry responses is, is this sort of weird thing of somebody feeling threat as if it's th- a threat to their game i mean no one's saying that men's football shouldn't still be celebrated and have the profile it is are they I mean it's it's just trying to give a little a little more balance
2: yeah I mean I I, it might be a case of that you know obviously you know football has been such a male dominated sport you know can't imagine how it would feel to have that taken away from you but it would never get taken away from you. we are all fully aware that the main sport in this country is men's football we are not hidden away by that at all and we know that that's the way it is but you know we deserve to be looked at it as footballers also you know it doesn't matter whether we're male or whether we're female you know we're just playing a sport that this whole country loves
1: and like you say this, this summer could I mean if England do well could really you know transform perceptions again I mean just talk us through what Phil Neville's brought to it I mean there was a lot of talk when he was appointed um, a lot of questioning and um, well thus far he's proving a lot of people wrong
2: yeah he, he's a great guy to, to start off with you know sometimes in the women's game you know people don't get on with someone or anything like that you know but it has changed as we become more professional and i think you know he's come in and really obviously his sister is the netball coach so she's obviously given him a bit of homework on how to deal with females and you know because it is different than the men's game you know we want to be told while we're not playing you know, we're disappointed. We're disappointed if we're not playing or you haven't picked us. Why have you not picked us? What are you thinking about me? You know, so it's having them honest conversations, you know.
1: Do you think that is, do you think that is different, a different challenge to a coach from from the men's game?
2: I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so different. I think, you know, there are some male players who obviously are disappointed when they don't get picked or stuff. But, you know, I think as females, we're a lot more open about our emotions um, as the men, you know, the men would be like, oh, it's fine, I don't care you know but for us we want to know why we want to know what we can do to get better obviously i haven't been in a male environment so it might be like that as well but you know
1: community it's almost like communication is a bigger bigger deal
2: absolutely absolutely and i think he learned that very quickly um in his job and you know he's now more aware that we're quite chilled like we like to go out in the day and we like to you know if we've got a game we don't want to have 100 meetings we want to go out and have a coffee or people want to go and sleep or you know there's so many different things that he Is learning about us, and you know he's trying to build relationships with you as a footballer and as a person, which I think probably doesn't happen as much in the male game. I think it's more, I'm your coach. When you're working with me, that's when we work. But when you go away, I don't really care what you do in a way. Whereas you know he's always messaging, you know how how's your day, how are you? It's more kind of building that relationship as well because I think he's learned through his sister, you know, that we like to feel trusted in that kind of situation and if I feel like you trust me then I'm going to trust you and then it's just going to build that better relationship um
1: whatsapp I hear there's a lot of whatsapp messaging goes on isn't it yeah
2: Yeah, so we all have a whatsapp group now so it's like with obviously yourself as a player um feel the assistant coach and then like the strength and conditioning coach, the doctor, medical team. Um, So we all just kind of put in little bits and bobs, you know, and just seeing how you are, catching up with, uh, have you um, just read that you've got a little niggle, like what's going on and stuff like that. So you're always in constant contact to be fair. And he's always, you know, messaging after games, like, oh, I saw the game, thought you did well or saw the game, think you need to do this a bit better. Um, So it's all very honest and very open. And, you know, I think the girls really appreciate how much time he takes into actually Making sure that everyone's in a good headspace.
1: Well, you're doing well. Most male WhatsApp groups I'm part of, they quickly descend into bad jokes. So <laughs> they, they, yours isn't the same.
2: No, I don't think so. It's just always asking about, you know, how was how training? Or, you know, like I said, he's asking how the dogs are or anything like that. You know, it's more kind of building that relationship away from football. And then when you go into camp, you know, that's when it's football.
1: I guess, and maybe, maybe, is this, I wonder if it is different. I mean, in. in the male environment maybe some would worry that that's too chummy but that doesn't seem to be you know that the, the relationship between coach you know some coaches like to be very much seen to be a sort of step above where it sounds yeah, like
2: empower a little bit yeah, yeah it sounds
1: like Phil Neville's happy to sort of feel like there's a, a bit more equality maybe
2: yeah I think so I think it's more just I think he knows that if like I said if he has your trust and respect you know we're all fully aware you know that he is the manager and he has the power of the whole team and we all respect him you know there's no disrespect there just because we know him a little bit further away from football but you know I think he just I think he's approached it in a really good way in a in a way where he can you know have honest conversations with you because he knows you on a personal level as well you know there's no point in a manager coming in saying well I don't think your attitude has been good enough if they haven't even spoke to you before yeah you know and I think he's he's definitely tried to install that in the team and you know at first everyone was a bit like oh whatsapp group why do you want a whatsapp group with everyone but it's definitely worked because he's obviously doing something right you know because we all enjoy playing his style of football we all enjoy playing for him we all enjoy going on camp with him his training sessions are good they're intense and you know that's what we want
1: and is the, the actual approach the style is it very different from um, Mark Sampson and what got you to third
2: yeah I think you know with Mark obviously it was about you know, how can we win the game as quickly as possible? You know, it was about, you know, obviously it worked. You know, we went from 13th to 30, we obviously did something right. You know, a lot of people complained about the style of play, you know, because we were very long ball orientated. You know, we, we played a lot, like I said, a lot of long ball. That was probably all we can remember. It was how can we, how quickly can we get from A to B? You know, there was no messing around. Like if you make a mistake at the back, you know, he's going to punish you for it. Like I want you to get the ball and I want you to just find the forwards. As quickly as possible you know he used a lot used to watch a lot of kind of Atletico Madrid how they would kind of set up to counter all the time that was kind of our play you know wait 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 and then you nick it and then you just go You know, there was no messing about with it. You know, you don't play. You don't, you just get it and go, you know, play forward as soon as you can. With Phil, it's more, you know, he wants us to build, wants us to, you know, play attractive football. You know, he still wants us to play forward. He still wants us to, you know, get in behind when we can. But it's more about, okay, how can we manage the game? You know, with under Mark, you know, we had to be so fit. We had to just be runners, you know, because it was a case of, okay, when the ball just run. And then lose the ball, okay, run, win it back. You know, it was so transitional. It was so just up and down, up and down, up and down. Whereas, you know, with Phil, it's a bit more, you know, we want to control the ball. We want to make the other team run. And that's the way that we all play pretty much at our clubs um, in the WSL. So, you know, we're all good enough to do it. So, and that's what we've been asking to do all along.
1: Right. Well, it sounds like you feel like you you always had the ability to be, shall we say, a better footballing team.
2: Yeah, definitely. But I think also, you know, We respected the way that Mark set up because we were winning, you know, obviously it was working, you know, we were winning games, we weren't winning pretty, we weren't winning, you know, by playing 50 passes and then putting the ball in the back of the net, you know, we were doing what was the most effective thing for us and, you know, we got a bronze medal doing it and we got to a semi-final of the Euros, but I think that's when it becomes, okay, we need to be better on the ball now, when you come up against the teams who can defend properly, who work you out and, you know, that's when you need to start, okay, they've worked this out, now we need to have a plan B and we need to start playing. Um, So hopefully, you know, when we become more confident um, on the ball, under Phil, obviously we've been playing some good football, you know, hopefully we can, you know, make the other team run a bit more and, you know, try and play a bit more attractive football.
1: And that's, I mean, it's that sort of sophistication for a better word. I mean, as you say, it's unlikely that you're going to win World Cups without it, I I would have thought.
2: You have to be a good footballing team to win, I think. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't win a major tro- trophy or tournament by you know just kicking the ball and hoping for the best. Yeah. And I think that's what made us come a, unstuck a bit. You know, against the likes of Japan, who were obviously the way we went out in that game was devastating. But you know, we we didn't control the ball. You know, the possession was probably you know so high. And you know, when we you know we got we got lucky quite a few times as well with it. You know, we played Spain in the Euros. I think they had eighty two percent possession. And we won 2-0 by like two long balls. But, you know, it gets to a stage where you come and get up against a team who have six-foot defenders. If you play long ball, you're never going to win the ball. And, you know, in a team that unstuck us by playing good football. And that's when it comes down to the crunch time of winning, you know, them semi-finals. Um, so, you know, hopefully now we're in a position where we can do that.
1: I don't know how tricky this is for you, but can you reflect on, on Mark, the guy as well? I mean... We did in the times we did actually sort of very much try and say there were there were sort of shall we say two sides to the story, um, and it it still shall we say I think in a lot of fans' eyes is still seen as a bit of a sort of mess of an episode. Um, also, obviously he was ultimately sacked for something that happened that wasn't when he wasn't even England manager, which just shows what a mess it was. I mean, how do you reflect on on Mark Sampson?
2: For me, first and foremost, he gave me the opportunity to play for England which obviously will never be changed. I think, obviously, it was a difficult situation for everyone to be involved in. Obviously, for myself, you know, obviously I play with Any and Drew at Chelsea. You know, I'm such good friends with them. Um, I think it was just a really horrible situation for everyone. Obviously, you know, Eni and Drew themselves and obviously Leanne went through a, a horrible time. You know, we as players didn't really know much about it. We only knew what was coming out in the media. You know, we, we didn't really... You know, it was kind of just a bit, it was just a bit of a mess, really. And, you know, we wanted to be there for our teammates at Chelsea and we also wanted to be there for our teammates at England, you know, who were going through a tough time. You know, both, both people, obviously, the previous, um, probably a bit worse. Um, but, you know, for me, I don't agree with what he had said to them players and I don't agree, you know, what happened before. But for me, he's the manager who gave me my England debut, you know, and that's something that I'm always going to be so thankful for. And, you know, as much as anything... That's what I'm gonna, you know, try and think about as much as I disagree with what happened w- um, with him and then players. But you know, it was a difficult situation for everyone to be a part of.
1: And you talk about obviously giving giving you your big chance. I mean, what? Just go back to that. I mean, in in terms of what you've done through your career, is that is that the highlight, the England debut, or is it something since then, or a goal, or what? what what's the what's the pinnacle thus far?
2: Uh, It's a difficult one because obviously, you know, I've had so many amazing memories. Um, You know, people always ask me what my favourite goal is and I'm like, I can't give you one because there's so many that I can just remember. You know, obviously my England debut scoring against Sweden, you know, that's amazing. My first start in a World Cup I scored, you know, I scored in the Euros against Spain. You know, there's, there's so many that I can't pinpoint even you know scoring Chelsea's first Champions League goal you know there's the, I can't just pick out one I think there's just been so many that's absolutely amazing but you know I think the joy that I felt when I scored on my debut but then in the World Cup also I think I probably had the same facial expression in both pictures um, so yeah
1: Describe it for us
2: <laughs> Just like a kid in a playground who's just scored that's yeah. what I would describe it as um,
1: What is yeah. that can you can you put into words that, that feeling
2: um, I think a lot of the time I look like I can't believe it I think that's what it is I think I I'm, I think every goal that I score most of the time I look like I can't believe that I've scored it or that you know oh wow that went in um, kind of have the same kind of facial expression on all of them Um <laughs> I remember I actually scored the one um, that I scored in the World Cup and then I actually scored a header against Brazil recently and I actually think I have exactly the same facial expression um, in both them pictures. So it must just be the way that I celebrate.
1: But <laughs> you feel, I mean, is it like some talk about, you know, literally it's like sort of the adrenaline, there's, there's so much pumping through that, yeah, you almost feel out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Everyone's like, oh, you should get a celebration, like you should do something. I wouldn't have a clue what to do. Like most of the time I end up just running to the bench and just celebrating with the rest of the team because I, I couldn't think to myself okay right now I'm going to run to this corner flag and then I'm going to do a knee slide and then I'm going to do something with my hands or do you know what I mean or I'm going to do some kind of dance like I just don't ever think about that I just think wow I've just scored
1: it's um, just yeah so even if you prepared something it would be out, out of your mind when yeah, it, when it probably. happens and any other superstitions I mean number 14 is that um...
2: that's the day of my mum's birthday okay 14th of June
1: okay so, so you always always going to stick to that yeah <laughs> Special thing in yeah. you your heart, yeah. Mm-hmm. And any other sort of memento superstitions that you I paint my
2: nails before every game. Okay, yeah, paint my fingernails before every game. Right. Um, so yeah, that would probably be my only superstition that I have. But I have to have caffeine chewing gum as well before a game. Or okay, a game, yeah.
1: And is that a, a superstition or just wanting to sort of feel good about yourself or what? Um, what's no,
2: that? it's definitely a superstition. Right. Definitely, because I'm a really bad biter my nails anyway <laughs> so sometimes I just paint them just so I stop biting them right. um but yeah no I did it one time I can't remember when the actual day was that I did it and then I scored I think a hat trick and I was like okay I have to do that now before every game and whether it works or not I don't really know but you know it's it's definitely a superstition
1: and your type of the, the type of goals that you you love scoring I mean they're particular as you say you mentioned the Thierry Henry sort of that that, that would be the dream one but it's is, is <laughs> Is there a, a type of finish that you know you sort of particularly? You know, is it is it the the one hit first touch hit or is it the dribbles through or twists and turns?
2: I, I like to beat a player before finishing. To be fair, the worst kind of finish that you can try and do is when you're when you have so much time, when you're going one v one with a goalkeeper and it's just you two, and you have to make a decision. You know, they're the worst yeah. ones. So I like to be where I've had to like do a little bit before shooting because then I'm like, okay, it's okay, I don't need to stress so much. Um, but yeah, I, I, like, I like to beat a few players before before scoring or at least
1: one. Talking about being at Chelsea on the training, I mean, I doubt it happens, but do you ever actually end up on the same training pitch as, as the guys? Has it ever happened? Is there ever any sort of interaction you know, with um, the ball? N-
2: not particularly, no. Um, sometimes they train the one next to us. So they come uh, through the little... Uh, woodland beer and watch us train david louise eden hazard has come down to watch us and we actually had um michael etienne train with us um not so long ago just to kind of get a run out and field some numbers so that was quite cool for everyone to kind of
1: he's a he's a pretty dangerous tackler yeah
0: (laughs) i think
2: he held back a little bit against us um but yeah that was really cool obviously to to play with him and stuff but yeah you know i think over the last few years the men have become more and more interested how we're doing and you know if I went up to get treatment they'd be like oh you've got Man City on the weekend or oh you won at the weekend oh unlucky about that result you know they are constantly like keeping an eye on us you know obviously David Louise came down to our game Aspilicueta is really vocal and you know trying to get p- behind us always wishing us well and good luck so you know it is becoming more and more you know open a few years ago you know they probably didn't even know that they had a women's team you know it was probably like that you know so now it's amazing to see you know how many more people are more interested in us and all the staff know as well how we've done at the weekend or anything like that so it's, it's really nice to be around that kind of environment
1: so crystal ball out what's where will the women's game be in this country in 10 20 years what 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 do you think will be different
2: i hope that the media coverage will be bigger uh, i think more games be te- televised on tv the fan base is to grow um, each and each year which i think it will do i i think it will be a not at the same level as the men's I still think you know we're still a way off but I think we'll be nearly there Um, and I think it's it's starting to, to go bang now and I think that's the most exciting part of it is seeing all these commercial people getting involved and, you know, I think it's only going to get bigger and bigger each year and, you know, hopefully I'm still playing when it gets to that level. I'm just going to have to stay around for another 15 years. <laughs>
1: what do you think? I mean, do you think you'll be involved in the game for, for life? I mean, it clearly is, a you know, it's, it's not just something I you, you excel at, it's a passion of yours. I mean, can you see yourself going into long way off yet, but coaching, administration?
2: Yeah, hopefully. I, I want to stay involved in the game as long as possible, you know, I, like I, like we've spoken about. I love football. Um, it's been my life since I was five years old, you know. It's something that I've grown up in and, you know, I want to try and stay involved in it as much as I can. You know, like you say, whether it's coaching or, you know, whether it's, you know, being involved at a club somewhere, you know, it's just trying to be involved as much as I can. You know, I, I love the sport and I'm happy to do whatever I can when I'm in it.
1: This edition of Lifetimes has been presented by me, Matt Dickinson. It has been produced by Lucy Lavery. To listen to household names speak as you've never heard them before, subscribe to this podcast. Search for Lifetimes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. And if you like it, please rate and review the series.
2: Life Times is a Times Newspapers production. To find more of our great journalism, go online at thetimes.co.uk.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,